Hi, listeners. At the end of the podcast episode, we talk about some books we recently read that we think are gay and slap. One of these recommendations, The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, we found out after recording that the author used some research and found some knowledge about the residential schools in Canada and what happened to the First Nations people as some sort of inspiration for plot points. It's wrong to use other people's trauma as the basis for a feel-good book. We're still learning more about this, and we encourage you to do the same, especially from First Nations and Indigenous people, before you consider picking up this book. We just wanted to make that really clear before you hear us recommending the book later. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. requirements I have for a book is that it's gay and it slaps. Thank you, Lainey. Welcome to Prose Tinted Glasses. I'm Bailey. And I'm Katie. And as you might have guessed by that excellent clip um, from the Lainey Rose on TikTok, this book, uh, this episode is about books that are gay and slap. And also how we got here to things being gay and slapping. Yeah, there used to be a little bit of gay and not a lot of slapping, um, especially in the YA genre. So we're gonna we're gonna explore how we got to the slappage. Yes. Uh, so first of all, it is now June. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. So exciting. They're actually gonna get to be events this year. Yes. Katie, did you wear your tie dye hoodie on purpose today because we are recording its gay and it slaps? Of course I did. What kind of person do you think I am? Someone who's not extra? Okay, just checking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's from the Target Pride collection. It's one of the few things that's actually cute. There are so. some really... <laughs> I don't want to derail the episode this early, but there are some really atrocious things in the Target Pride collection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's questionable, but the hoodie is cute. <laughs> the hoodie is cute. I'm here for tie-dye hoodies. Uh, Peloton released, like more pastel tie-dye hoodies today in their pride collection Mm, i'll have to look into that if you saw my message to the twitter dm about not buying more activewear it was the peloton pride collection and i did buy more activewear as you should amazon also has some very questionable pride things uh and i saw a tiktok going through all their offerings for buy pride and most of them were terrible but there was one it was like a black hoodie and it just said yeet on it in the buy pride flag colors oh my God. and honestly it really spoke to me and i had to like actively stop myself from no. ordering it yeet <laughs> yep yeet oh otherwise known as the catchphrase of all bisexuals okay <laughs> yeah um anyway so the companies are really out here doing the most yeah, just to be clear, yeet is not at all um, a thing tied to bisexual culture, if you will. It It's uh, slang from mm-hmm. different culture, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Moving on. <laughs> Fun little side tangent. Um, anyway, so we're going to go back into the dark days of when Bailey and I were teenagers, and there was so very little queer representation in books, and what we did get... Uh, were like the side characters so I actually I found a like a paper published in Western Oregon University um, by Mr. John Goldsmith thanks John and it's talking about the evolution of queer representation in the YA genre which is relevant to our interests in this episode I don't know if I should read this whole quote it's so long do it we can always edit it out later For the majority of novels published throughout the 1980s and 1990s, the bulk of queer-identified characters could be found in supporting roles in the text. Whether they were a close friend, a relative, or an authority figure in the protagonist's life, their coming out would most frequently be a major character arc for the protagonist. In spite of their importance to the narrator's stories, many of these characters were relatively superficial, following the traditions and stereotypes perpetuated by the early days of the genre. 
during the latter half of the 1990s and continuing into the modern queer young adult novel, these secondary characters have risen in both importance and frequency. The rise in both number and significance allowed for a plurality of LGBTQ plus identities to be present across the literature, and while some of these may not be perfect representations, many of them became starting points for further development. And that's on page 39 of the paper. Basically, the gay side character was there to somehow further the protagonist's storyline, and often it really was the stereotypical, like, hand down, hey girl, like, gay best friend. It was not a wide range of representation, which I guess is getting nitpicky, but at the same time, like, gay men shouldn't be a stereotype. Just, like, no one should be a stereotype. Yeah, and if they weren't stereotypes, the representation was so, like, coded and not overt. It was basically treated as a secret and one of those things where, you know, a queer person reading the book might pick up on it, but maybe, like, your average sheltered straight person would not even have, like, noticed um, that a character was gay. And a recent example is I've been on a little bit of a YA kick recently, like a nostalgia YA kick. And I read Legend, which came out just around when we had graduated high school and were starting our freshman year in college. And so I didn't actually read it at the time, but it was very much at the tail end of like that dystopian, the YA dystopian heyday. And in the first book, the main character's brother is killed. And we find out in the second book that he was gay. And it was something that felt like such an afterthought. That's like retconning... That that's retconning a little bit. Yeah, we were like, oh, by the way, that dude we killed off, he was gay. Representation. Uh, the one sort of rep that sticks out to me is I definitely read Gossip Girl when I was younger. So I read like The Click, and then the natural progression is to read Gossip Girl. And when we were planning this episode, Katie was like, oh yeah, Chuck Bass was bisexual in the books, and I was like, what? <laughs> no, he wasn't. I would have remembered that. Um, so actually, turns out I didn't remember it. I am wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Um, and that is, I think, because it didn't happen until later in the books. And in the beginning of the books, he's definitely presented as what we would have referred to in the aughts as metrosexual. A straight man who pays a lot of attention to his appearance and things like that. And... They do lean into that in the beginning of the show, and then at the end of the show, they just totally not let that happen at all. But in the books, I don't remember it. There was nothing prior to, I guess, when he started dating a guy in one of the later novels that he came out as bi. And I didn't have time to reread them, unfortunately, because this took me by such surprise, I completely forgot it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also never read the Gossip girl books but i watched the show and i actually rewatched it fairly recently and i know there was an interview where the showrunner commented that he wished that they had explored that part of chuck more and included it in the show and there was one moment in the show and it's where blair and chuck were together and they were playing one of their fucked up relationship games where they were um like kind of pretending to cheat on each other and then the other person would storm in and Blair made Chuck pretend to cheat on her with a man for, I mean, not really relevant ulterior Blair motives. Um, but she waited until Chuck kissed him because of her ulterior motives. And he was really mad at her, not because it was with a man. And he actually was like, he said, do you think I've never kissed a man before? He was mad because she lied to him. But... So there's this suggestion of, like, a bisexual element, but it feels more in context. It feels more like, oh, look at Chuck. He's so, like, crazy and promiscuous. You know, he even kisses men. It doesn't feel like an actual comment on his sexuality. Right. Which leads me to two things. Number one being, you're only going to see that as queer coding if you're looking for it. If you were only looking at just the show, you would just probably blow it off. But if you were looking from a book perspective or from a perspective of someone looking for more queer rep, you're going to say, like, oh, maybe that is more. And then the second point is just that um, 
playing into Chuck Bass's general personality is that he will, I believe at one point they say, like, he'll fuck anything with a pulse. And uh, that is generally a harmful stereotype contributed to by people that they will sleep with anything, that they don't have preferences, that it's they're lustful and promiscuous. So don't like that. Yeah, it's a big and harmful stereotype. Um, it's very biphobic. People like to say, like, if a man's in a, resec- in a relationship with a bisexual woman, oh, well, now she's twice as likely to t- cheat because her dating pool's bigger. But that's really not how it works if you're dating someone. It's because you're dating that person. Right. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people cheat. It doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. Like, that's doesn't play into it. So, yeah, that that representation of Chuck is is interesting. Um, but there are some authors that have maybe tried to do it better, failed early on, maybe got a little bit better about some of it and doesn't always hit it right. And so we're talking about Percy Jackson. Yeah, so the early Percy Jackson, I've now reread the first two. They're taking forever to become available at the library, so it's slow going, but... I've read the first two and they're just like cute little YA romps and there's really no interesting representation at all. And that's one of the things that I really admire about Rick Riordan is that he listened to his fan base and he started including more and more people and characters from different backgrounds to um, ensure that there is representation. And he does, as Bailey mentioned, occasionally he misses, but I think that all of his efforts have been in good faith. And I think he has been really good about, you know, when it's a miss, he takes ownership and responsibility for it and works to do better next time. Which is honestly what I ask of people who have made a mistake is that they say, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do better. Let me work on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Nico in Percy Jackson is one of the like, earliest and like vaguest recollections I have of a queer character in something that I was reading and again it's a very vague recollection because I'm only on book two of the Percy Jackson series in my reread but I I do contribute that a lot to Rick Riordan yes and I haven't read the Percy Jackson series in years so I can't really speak on that because I don't remember Nico as a character, period, yet alone, like, what <laughs> what he might be representing. So I, I vaguely remember, like, a junkyard and a Medusa head, and, that, and that's, like, my entire recollection. Oh, and Hotel California. That's it. That's all I remember. Yep. Finished book, leave brain. <laughs> yeah, that's, for the most part, me too. And that's why we're going to mention a couple of other um, examples as we go through of this sort of, like, throwaway side character representation a lot of it is from books that i have read but not in like over a decade so if our memories are a little bit flawed please forgive us we did try and research this um we looked at a lot of different sources like um tv tropes was a big one for me there's actually just a wikipedia page that's list of lgbtq characters in modern literature or something like that i I went through to jog my memory (laughs) yeah so we tried to do our research, but, you know, forgive us if we make any mistakes here. Yeah, I mean, again, like I just said, like, feel free to DM us if we say something wrong and we'll work to fix it. We're we're open to criticism, though please leave us five stars on Apple. <laughs> yeah, with the, with the, again, good faith that we will try and correct it and do better going forward. <laughs> yes. Uh, I actually did look at my bookshelf when I got home yesterday and then today to look through all of the books that I've kept through like child to through to adulthood to see if there was anything that I could remember that had any rep whatsoever. And the answer I have come up with is a resounding no. Anything that's still on my bookshelf is uh, pretty straight. Yeah. I think again, in my research, I think there was like one gay character in Divergent in the insurgent book of that series her name was lynn i have no memory of her so again grain of salt but according to tv tropes she came out after she was fatally stabbed i deleted all insurgent information from my brain after finishing it because it was just so rage inducing that 
I said, nope, I don't need this memory space anymore. Clear. Yep, which is an extremely um, valid point. Lynn dies, and like Mateus in Legend, it's a very good example of the very terrible trope, bury your gaze. gaze. Oh, bury your gaze. So, bury your gaze is definitely more common in, like, television, I would say. Mm -hmm. But it's still... It's still a problem in books. We did find some examples. Um, and by that, I mean people who stick out in our minds. In addition to Mateus and Lynn, we've also got Newt from The Maze Runner, who Bailey was shocked to learn uh, was queer. I, like, thinking back now, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I see it. But again, my memory is like Newt getting killed. <sighs> Which bury your gaze. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I don't know. I is. do. So the thing is, the only book I have is The Scorch Trials. So I feel like even if I went back, I'd have to wait at the library to read them. Um, and my main memory of The Maze Runner has now been completely supplanted by Dylan O'Brien being Dylan O'Brian. So mm-hmm. I, I have and, no... And, and with Ferb being Newt. <laughs> right. Like, I have no... I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> just have nothing to say for myself. I was just shocked. Uh, I believe it, but I was shocked. Which, it's fair. And again, The Maze Runner is one of those series. There are four or five of, of them that I read this way, where I pirated them all and read them all, like, overnight in college um, instead of studying or having a life. Uh, so I do have, like, vague recollections of it, and I could definitely be wrong. But I feel like Newt was one of the characters where their queerness was way more subtle and way more suggested than overtly stated like often and loudly right which is probably why i didn't notice it i am not a reader that picks up on a lot of subtleties i'm i'm gonna be honest here i just don't catch a lot of them bailey do you know that i did not know that renly and loris were gay until the tv show came out for game of thrones i did not pick up on that in the books okay well, I feel slightly better now. <laughs> to be fair, I have since reread Game of Thrones several times, and it is way more implied. It's heavily implied, but it's definitely never outright stated the way that it is in the show. So I feel like a little bit better. I was like 15 the first time I read them, so I'm going to give myself a pass. Um, but anyway, I I identify with not being able to pick things up. Hold on. Quick question. Do Renly and Loris die? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, both of them do. Okay, cool. Just checking. That's what I thought. Um, (laughs) Another character that I remember once I started recollecting it, and we're bringing up A Great and Terrible Beauty again, which will make the second time in in eight episodes of a book I never thought I would bring up. (laughs) I mean, at this point, I feel like it's going to be a running joke, and then eventually we're going to just have to do an episode on it. But yeah, back to A Great and Terrible Beauty, the fever dream of a series by the great Libba Bray. Pippa is a lesbian, and it is actually handled very interestingly for its time. Because A Great and Terrible Beauty definitely came out when I was in high school when there was not a lot of representation in literature. And the girls, Gemma, Pippa, Fee, they don't see this as like a problem with Pippa, even though society clearly does. But part of this book series is girls who don't necessarily fit into society or want to follow society finding their own way. So it does kind of make sense. But uh, spoiler alert, Pippa dies and then she like dies for real later. Wait, I think I thought we landed on Felicity was definitely a lesbian and Pippa was like maybe also a lesbian because Felicity was one. Do I have that flipped? I think you have that flipped. Okay. Now I'm going to double check on the, the Wikipedia because regardless i'm pretty sure what there was a kiss between pippa and felicity yes yes and Gemma walked in on it and Gemma walked in on it okay and then pippa decides she has to die because of the horror and shame of being a lesbian i guess bailey is actively checking i am actively checking one has to <laughs> felicity's suitors let me scroll back up i th- actually maybe i have it backwards this is a very long article this is a lot of in-depth about felicity worthington I didn't need to know this much about her. I like I love fandom wikis and like all of the resources that they provide, but they can just be there can be a lot of info that I don't need. 
regardless, I think that Pippa really didn't want to take her place in society and she definitely didn't want to marry a man. Right. I mean, none of them wanted to marry men. Mm-hmm. Relatable? I can't remember. I can't find it either, so. Okay. Well, this is one of those instances where we may be a little bit off, but there was definitely some queerness happening and then Pippa died. So either way, not great. Either way, um, the final glaring example of barrier gaze that most people who read books will know is Dumbledore. Sorry to invoke Joanne. Um, and especially this one's funny because Dumbledore was not even confirmed gay when he was killed off. Right. He was said to be gay after the series concluded. So it it is technically barrier gays, but also I question if she intended Dumbledore to be gay when she wrote all that. So it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've made our our feelings on Joanne known even with our, our deep love for the series overall. But yes, she, she sure did bury that gay. Yep. Then there's the fact that a lot of gay stories tend to be only coming out stories, as if the only story you can tell about someone who is gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, etc., is that they have to come out. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a lot of those examples of the coming out stories, they're usually, like, really fraught and, like, sad and emotional and hard. And they don't get to just be, like, fun and happy, which I know that coming out is emotional for a lot of people. And I don't want to take away from that at all. But I think there's something really exciting and beautiful about getting to, like, declare who you are and tell people about it. And for people who aren't in hard situations with, you know, ultra conservative families and the people that aren't, like, fearing for their safety by coming out i just there was this period where all of the coming out stories were so sad instead of getting to celebrate it right it was like the gay can't be happy which Mm -hmm. you can be if you're out there you can be happy and i think a lot of a lot of those stories did eventually come to that conclusion there was just a, a lot of really sad heartache and i think in particular there was just sort of this period of transition between having absolutely no queer rep to the like abundance of really fun and interesting and varied queer rep that we have going on today is when all of these coming out stories were happening and they're like Simon versus the homo sapienist um agenda wow I wrote adventure you did I wondered about that it's fine that's fine words are hard um Simon versus the homo sapien agenda I feel like if not started this trend was definitely like one of the first ones that was both a fraught coming out story and like a happy love story. And I think maybe was the one that kind of shifted the tide, at least in like mainstream popular culture. And I wonder how much is connected from the thing that side characters that were gay, their trauma was usually like the plot driver for what happened to the protagonist. So how much of that was a continuation of like these are the stories we currently have like you're saying a transition period from the side character the unimportant here to drive the plot to we are just out there because if you read she's too pretty to burn there's no coming out in that in that book at all because it's just they already exist as people Mm -hmm. yeah they get to skip past that period of transition and just like have a regular story. I wonder if it was almost like a cultural coming out where we as society were like coming to terms with queerness and like reckoning with how to tell these stories in pop culture. And the first step to that was just this painful reckoning the way that a lot of people have to individually reckon with their own queerness. Society was having to reckon with the fact that queerness exists and that it's it's going to be coming into the popular culture a lot more because of all of the social justice strides that were made in the last few decades. Right. And we really can't downplay the pain and trauma that older generations went through when it came to coming out and existing as who they are. And the fact that we can say queer on a podcast without it being a slur is just part of that too. There there's a lot of history there. Yeah, I know 
I know a, a lot of older LGBT people still don't prefer the term queer because of all the trauma they have associated with it being a slur. Um, but I know especially a lot of the younger generation has really reclaimed that and taken it back as an umbrella term. And I feel like there's a little bit of this fight against micro-labeling to try and like define every single facet and how you're presenting it to the world. And you just get to be queer and you're part of the big umbrella and you're part of the big community. And I think I really like that. Right. But I do understand that there's a history to it that we didn't live through and we'll never understand fully. So you have to be aware of that when you do go forth and use it. Another one of the ones that I would consider probably from this era, and I actually was surprised to learn that this book was so old because I feel like it's just kind of taken on a new life. Thanks, with Book Talk. Book Talk. Yeah, thank you, Book Talk. And thank you, I believe Lainey Rose is the first one that I saw recommend this one. So I'm very happy to have read it. But it's uh, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, which is just a beautiful, gorgeous coming of age book and it it does have a little bit of a coming out and like a a sadness and trauma bent to it yes but i would argue that it's not really like trauma gore Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i think it's much more centered on the coming of age right it's written in such a deeply emotional way that doesn't it just doesn't feel the same way as some of the other stories do uh that book was amazing the second book is coming out this year i'm very excited and i do hope lynn manuel miranda narrates it again yeah if you haven't read aristotle and dante or even if you have lynn manuel miranda narrates the audiobook and it was just a wonderful experience yes okay we don't have a transition we're just gonna come out and say it that a lot of straight girls love gay ships specifically like gay men ships Mm -hmm. yeah slash ships i remember being a kid and seeing all of the slash ships on fanfic.net the big one when i was a kid was always dreary um Uh, yeah but and dean and cass (laughs) yeah dean and cass i didn't actually i i mostly trolled harry potter fanfiction so i didn't see that a lot when i was very young but yes dean and cass is another huge huge example And honestly, I'm very curious as to why straight girls are very obsessed with slash ships and MLM ships. Yeah, so I'm sure that people have, like, analyzed this far more in depth than I ever could with with Dreary, but I think it's because um, with Dreary, there was actual tension between Harry and Draco, so you could easily read it to be, like, sexual tension and build off of that, but... The you know a lot of Harry's female romantic partners didn't have a lot of tension in the text, because a a lot of the female characters in Harry Potter are fairly one dimensional. They do a thing, and that's what they do, and that's that's probably part of it for a lot of other characters. I mean, supernatural. How many female characters had longevity? <laughs> None, zero. Okay. Um, they were always like side characters. They didn't hang hang around very long. They were around to get killed. That was fun. Yeah, I mean, like Dean's a womanizer, canonically, but he doesn't build relationships with anybody. So when you then put him on screen with somebody, and play it the way they played it, that one's a little easier to see where it came from. But I do think there's something to be said for poorly written women. Yeah, I think that one theory for why girls are so entranced by gay relationships is that there are literally just fewer good female characters to choose from in media to um, to ship with whoever the guy character is. You know, it, there just are fewer straight or straight passing pairs of characters that have interesting tension where both the characters are interesting people. Right. it And that's definitely could be it. It could also be so many other things that I'm not qualified to analyze for. But um, <laughs> there's definitely some. I don't I don't know if fetish is. 
I don't know if this word that I apparently can't say is <laughs> fetishization. Thank you, Katie. I'm not going to reattempt <laughs> it <laughs> of gay relationships for the benefit of, of, of straight fangirls. It's a problem because it comes back to, like I said, with the stereotype earlier, like they, these stereotypes and the fetish, they don't exist for your entertainment <laughs> at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. Another theory that I have about why straight girls do this so much, it's actually tied into the the reason I think that women love the true crime genre so much. It's because true crime tangent. I think women gravitate towards true crime because there's all of these horrible things out there that can happen to us and we're grown we grow up with it being told to us constantly and I think that the true crime genre is a way for us to like safely confront those fears on our own terms. You know, we get, we can turn a podcast episode on, we get to hear all the things. Typically, we know it's going to wrap up either with the killer being found or we can take solace in knowing that it's not happening to us. And I think there's a very similar thing for shipping MLM relationships where straight girls are less threatened by gay men and so it's a a good way for them to explore their own feelings in a situation where they feel comfortable and unthreatened but i i even saying that i don't want to say that it that makes it unproblematic i still think that oh hi bruce bruce agrees i (laughs) i still think that it leads to this infantilization of gay men and to this kind of culture of straight women trying to kind of take claim and ownership over gay men and the queer community and i think that that's really bad but i i feel like that's probably a part of where some of the fetishization comes from yeah i mean we can obviously read into it a lot and there's also the fact that it's possible that gay male characters are written with more nuance than straight male characters they're written with more emotions and that appeals to women because we want we emotion appeals to women. This is I'm not saying women are emotional. I'm just saying we can connect with emotion. And so maybe part of it is that you can connect with these characters because they have the emotion. And a lot of times straight men who are written for the love interest are only written for that and don't necessarily have as much independent characterization outside of the being the romantic interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. I don't want to say for sure that that's part of it, and I definitely don't want to say that just because that might be true that it's not problematic. But all of these things might add up to why this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that there's been a lot of discussion around Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is an excellent book by Cre- by Casey McQuist. Wow, I've got the Bailey mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Casey McQuiston. Thank you. Thank you. We just have to trade words. That's how we are going to get through this. We only get three per day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there's been a lot of discussion about it being so beloved, again, by this subset of straight women and there being concern about a factor being this, this fetishization. Dang it. It's catching. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. I didn't mean to do it. It's okay. We got it. We're going to get through this. Yeah, I think it's a very good book. And I think um, some of the discourse around Red, White, and Royal Blue has gotten a little off track because um, they're like, I can't believe that everybody's talking about this book about gay men written by a cis white woman, which let's be clear, Casey McQuiston is not a cis white woman. No. They're not. Please look it up. Please pay attention to the thing, to the people that you're trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think that there are criticisms to be made about Red, White, and Royal Blue and about the fandom, but please make sure they're informed criticisms that aren't attacking Casey requested for something that they're not. We do think criticism is a valid thing and we do think authors should be held accountable but we do not think it's okay to misgender authors or anyone 
Well, and also, I just want to caution against criticisms like that generally. I don't know if you remember all of the Becky Albertalli drama from, I think, last year or maybe the year before. Becky Albertalli is the person who wrote Simon vs. the Homo Sapien Agenda, and people were criticizing her for fetishizing MLM relationships, and it basically forced her to come out of the closet as bisexual to um, to combat those criticisms. And I feel like, you know, some of it probably comes from a good place of wanting people to tell own voices stories, but a lot of people probably are telling own voices stories, but they're just not ready to come out. And I think it's really a dangerous precedent to start forcing authors out of the closet just to confirm or confront your own biases. Right. And I also want to point out that if you only want to hear own voices stories and you don't want authors that aren't part of that community to write a story with those people, you're you're running into kind of a problem there because I do think we should highlight and put forth own voices stories, especially right now when we're all realizing the stories that are there to be told by own voices that maybe for whatever reasons, the publishing industry, society, our own ignorance, we haven't known are out there. But if you say only people who are part of the community can write about this community, then you're back in the space where it's like, well, now there is no representation because a straight author cannot include a gay character because they're not part of the community. And so you have to look at it a little bit from that way. But as I said, I just really want to reiterate, we do still want to hear own voices stories. I am not saying that we don't want that. I'm saying that representation can be done and people who are trying to write for part of a community that they are not could get input from people in the community, pay people for their work. You can do sensitivity reading and you can ask people, Hey, I want to do this. Where can I find resources to help me best represent your community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that good faith attempts at greater representation, even representation outside of your own experiences, can only be a good thing. And people are going to mess up and people are going to, you know, not do it 100% right. But as long as they are willing to listen and take criticism and do better next time, like our king Rick Riordan, I feel like it is only a positive thing. Right. Because as I said, if we don't allow for people to learn how to write everything, um, that then we're back in the boxes where we can only have specific types of media. And I don't think that that is the way that we want to go. Um, so while I agree that the fetishization, oh my god, <clears throat> what a fetishization of MLM relationships by straight women is problematic on many levels, and uh, arguably so is the fetishization. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Bailey, you should just get it right one time, and I'll go in and I will dub over every time you pretend you try and say it with the one time you say it right. <laughs> fetishization. Anyways, the fact that men always think that lesbians and bi girls exist only for them to get off in porn. That. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is also problematic. It is. And I think it possibly contributed to why it took longer for there to be more sapphic representation in media. You know, even when all these, like, gay coming out stories were starting to become really popular... A lot of that was centered on men, and I think part of that is, like we have said, the fetishization of MLM relationships by straight girls. God, I've said that phrase a lot today. And part of it is that I feel that men fetishizing lesbians and bisexual girls has made it feel like more taboo and less accessible to general audiences which is bad and wrong and i'm really glad that we're finally starting to like see the tide turn on that right and i can imagine too that as we talked about before with coming out stories there's probably some trauma associated with 
telling a sapphic story when for so long it was a thing that men made for their enjoyment versus something that women could share with women. Um, so maybe that's why, but I am starting to see a lot more sapphic recommendations like on TikTok. And I'm sure if you searched a Goodreads shelf, you'd find a good sapphic Goodreads shelf. Uh, I think it just, there's, it was a lot more socially cool to have like a gay best friend that was a male who presented many femme characteristics than it ever was to have like um a lesbian friend who presented very masculinely like that it was never a a pop culture cool thing but definitely in the aughts like having a gay best friend was something people always joked about and to be clear like shouldn't have joked about that you can't tokenize anybody Mm -hmm. yeah I, i agree i think you said it well uh, so now do we want to talk about like how it seems, like I said, for She's Too Pretty to Burn, you can just have a, a gay or a bisexual or a lesbian or a trans main character. And it's not, that isn't the focus of the story. The focus of the story is a conflict that exists otherwise in their life. Yeah, I am so happy that we've finally gotten to that point and I mean, I honestly, I would just love to take this opportunity to just gus, gush, gus. Mm. Gus is at your apartment? I didn't know you had two dogs. <laughs> gus is a very good boy. Gus is our friend Daniel's dog. <laughs> and he's a very good boy. I bullied him into adopting him, and it worked out really well. <laughs> uh, Anyways, yes, we are going to gush over our favorite books yes. from this sort of the I, genre i guess i don't know if it's a genre now <laughs> uh no it's not a genre and that's the point is that we've read books from many different genres that are all gay and all slap so i've yes pulled up my list of, of some of the books that i read um i read a bunch of them mainly because not because I knew that we were going to be talking about this, and so I wanted a really wide pool. And the more that I found and loved, the more that I discovered and then wanted to read. So, I do want to say that Katie's list is a lot longer than mine because um, I'm going to be pulling mine from my brain due to my inability to put things on paper. Yeah, I I went through my, like, marked as read list, and I pulled out all the ones that I have read. And there sure are a lot. And I actually think there have been one or two more since I finish making this but we don't have to just read out the list like we can just talk about ones that we liked obviously aristotle and dante we cannot evangelize about enough um and we also also... clearly do think you should read red white and moral blue Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the state a staple of the genre for a reason we both read and loved the house in the cerulean sea which oh my god is a book that feels like someone is giving you a really nice hug Yes, that book was one I did not know what I was picking up when I picked it up. And by the end of it, I was like in tears, like, I just love this so much. I got really high pitched. I'm so sorry for everyone. I normally have like a fairly not high pitched voice. <laughs> um, so I did really like Cemetery Boys. Um, yes. I loved that it was different from any other sort of like supernatural i guess setting that i'd really ever read Mm -hmm. in our notes i have this is quoted from bailey in quotes it says feel good ghost boyfriend story oh i forgot i said that that is good that is true (laughs) i definitely didn't think through how we were gonna just list all our faves no it's okay because i do want to talk about how um, Sophie Gonzalez said that Perfect on Paper is a subtweet that got published, basically. So, um, I guess reading, I believe this was on, you found it in an interview, Katie, or Goodreads review? Uh, it was, she posted it to her Goodreads page. So basically, in a previous novel she had written, the bi main character ends up with, um, someone of the opposite sex i.e. they are in a straight passing relationship and people were upset that that wasn't good representation and so she wrote a book that was even more let me see how she said it 
because I'm me, I did it again, but bigger, is what she said. So she wrote perfect on paper as a big, like, hey, sometimes bi people end up in a straight passing relationship that doesn't make them any less valid. Mm -hmm. There was a scene towards the end of that book where the main character basically said that, like, that was one of her fears was that being in a hetero relationship would make her less bi and all the members of her lgbtq club um basically just affirmed like you're you're bi whether you're dating a man or a woman and it was just so like affirming and like just a wonderful scene it was very good yes but I'm i do love that sophie gonzalez was like hey fuck you guys <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like what i did i'm gonna do it bigger <laughs> like yeah, very much loved that. Um, also, just along that vein, and actually kind of circling back to what we were talking about with own voices, there was the Aiden Thomas thing where he has been getting backlash on his second novel. It just left my brain. Lost in the Neverwoods? Uh, yeah, Lost in the Neverwoods. People are upset with him because his first book, Cemetery Boys featured a trans main character, and then the main character in Lost in the Neverwoods is a cis white girl. And he went on this rant on Twitter about how Lost in the Neverwoods is actually the first book that he sold, and it's the reason that he got his publisher and his agent, and they just decided to um, publish Cemetery Boys first once he came up with the idea because everyone was so passionate about it but that Lost in the Neverwoods is still really, like, dear to his heart. And, you know, it's the reason that we have Cemetery Boys. And I think we just need to be careful about own voices and, like, enforced representation becoming a little toxic because there's no reason that every book that Aiden Thomas writes has to be about a trans Latinx character. Uh, right. Just because that's what he is. Just like every book Jim Butcher writes doesn't need to be about a straight male. I mean, unfortunately, they probably are going to be, but like, <laughs> it, they don't have to be. Yeah. Um, that dude makes it on uh, our men writing women so many times. <laughs> I mean, from everything I've heard, as he should. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to some of our, our favorite. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, this Bailey's is still losing someone... it. <laughs> yeah. This is coming from someone who actually, like, does really enjoy a lot of Jim Butcher's books, but always recommends them with the caveat of, like, it's a, it's a noir detective novel, and it just, like, it it's not going to read well if you really hate that. And he gets better about it, but he does not get better about it. <laughs> like, it gets better, but it's not good still. So, um, anyways, back to happy gushing over books we really liked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you want cute romances, The Henna Wars is a super cute sapphic romance. Cemetery Boys, super cute romance featuring a trans main character. Last Night at the Telegraph Club, super cute historical sapphic romance um, with a Chinese lesbian as the main character. What? Ooh, historical sapphic romances? Sort of historical. Uh, the Once and Future Witches. I haven't read that one yet, but I've heard really good things. It was good. Also, uh, my hairdresser knows the author, which is very fun. <gasps> that is very fun. Yes. And so it's not, like, truly historical because, like, the witches... Well, I, I'll i always say this. Maybe witches exist and we just aren't witches. I don't know. Mm, true. Ooh, um, You Should See Me in a Crown. Very cute sapphic romance. Yes. I did read Cinderella is Dead. That one was good. I liked the retelling of it mixed up. Mm -hmm. Yes, I thought that was really interesting. I thought that that one was actually like thematically similar to The Grace Year, but it had this fun fairy tale, fantasy, obviously sapphic twist to that kind of like dystopian um... patriarchy. Dystopian patriarchy. Yeah, really liked that one. Uh, if you want to cry and read a book with uh, representation, I would like to once again recommend The House in the Cerulean Sea. Yeah, that one's going to be a happy cry, though. Right. Uh, the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo for a sad cry. Yeah, more of a sad cry. Um, 
the death of Vivek Oji is a really powerful and beautiful sad book about with a trans main character. Um, ooh, Felix Ever After is a very cute trans main character romance. I read All Boys Aren't Blue, which is an autobiography, which is very good. I really enjoyed it. It was written... It did not read like a lot of autobiographies where it's just like, oh my god, this is so clearly nonfiction and I'm hating every second of this. Like, it was still an enjoyable story. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mentioned She's Too Pretty to Burn a couple of times. If you haven't heard about that, it's sort of like a modern sapphic retelling of the picture of Dorian Gray. And it's by Wendy Hurd, who co-hosts a podcast we really like, Unlikable Female Characters. Shout out. Yep. Shout out to Katie for letting me take it home after we had our Shadow and Bone <laughs> extravaganza. Yeah, so I, I had a physical copy and Bailey borrowed it and, I and know, maybe finished eventually it I'll get that it back. day. <laughs> I finished it that day. <laughs> what else haven't we talked about? The Vanishing Half is a very good and powerful book. Um, it's very powerful with both its what it explores racially and what it explores sexuality-wise. Yes, I that book was one where I had to stop reading for a little bit afterwards and think about what I'd read. Mm-hmm. An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by TikTok fave Hank Green is a really great book oh. where the main character just happens to be bi. Yes, if you want sci-fi, because maybe uh, fairy tale retellings aren't aren't always your thing, which I guess we'd be remiss to not mention These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong here. Which it's sort of like it, it's side characters, but not in the their being queer advances the plot way. They just are. Yeah, they just exist as as humans tend to also do. I haven't read that one yet, but I'm really excited for it. Do you exist? No, I'm actually a figment of your imagination, Bailey. Dang it, <laughs> a construct. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to exist after that cicada landed on me today. Oh God, I don't think I saw that. Uh. I, d- I, I didn't tell everybody, but it landed, like, on my chest while I was running. I did, like, a full 360 jump in the air, like, ah! I'm I'm very impressed with you because I simply would have died on the spot, so proud of you for surviving. About five minutes later, another one landed on me at a crosswalk, and I gave everyone waiting at the red light the pleasure of seeing me scream and smash it on the ground. Oh, God. Those of you that don't know, I'm in the Midwest, where we are currently living under Brood X their reign of terror um (laughs) if you don't know what cicadas are don't google them they will haunt your nightmares big r.i.p to you uh i I haven't made it through i haven't started the priory of the orange tree yet but that one's sapphic right and it's like a big sprawling fantasy big sprawling fantasy sapphic uh i just actually got the bone season by the same author which is what she wrote before priory of the orange tree but I did love the Priory of the Orange Tree. Don't be intimidated by the 900 pages. Like, take as long as you need to read this thing. It was a very good book. There are a lot of fantasy elements that I feel like we don't always get in sapphic or gay novels because a lot of those novels don't necessarily... Sometimes gay novels are just like, oh yeah, like like in Six of Crows, how some of the characters just happen to be like bisexual like okay that happens but i feel like this is much more of a sprawling fantasy series with a whole world uh much more in line with what's typically written by middle-aged white men who live in utah mm-hmm. yeah gee who could those be no, I, no comment <laughs> yeah anyway those are, are some of our favorite ones that we've read recently i just really like the evolution that the literature landscape has now um we struggled to find a lot of the good concrete examples of like early queer rep especially in YA because honestly I I think there must have been more like side characters or like implied queer characters and they're just not fresh in our memory because you know it's been a decade since we read most of them um but now there are all those books that we mentioned that we read recently that have been released and then um I'm about to list like 11 queer books that are coming out this week. If you um, are listening to the podcast, they would have come out two days ago on June 1st. Because Tuesdays are book day. 
and they're all different genres and they're all um different age groups and you know all of these books are coming out at the same time so we've evolved so far past the lack of representation and now that the generation coming after us is having the opportunity to find themselves in literature yes so i'm just gonna do you want to start oh no i was just gonna be really really excited about one last stop by casey mcquiston because i am so excited to read it it's sapphic kate and leopold with time travel i guess um yes which is so exciting uh we love everything that casey mcquiston does so far so We've heard it's good from all the people who have arcs. It seems like everybody has an arc of one last stop and we're just having to wait. We'll be patient. Not my forte. Anyway, the rest of these that I'm just going to run through, um, I got this from a TikTok by at Endless Book Rex, where they compiled all these books coming out this week. Some of them I'm so excited about. Trouble Girls by Julia Lynn Rubin is billed as a queer YA Selma and Louise. The Girl from the Sea by Molly Ostertag is a sapphic graphic novel. The Ghosts We Keep by Mason Deaver has a non-binary main character and is a contemporary literature. Ace of Spades by Faride Abike Imide, and I did look up how to pronounce that, so hopefully I got it right. I'm so excited for that. YA Dark Academia? Yeah, and a thriller, so this is like everything in my wheelhouse in one book. I'm so excited. Uh, the Passing Playbook by Isaac Fitzsimmons has a transgender main character, and it's like a young adult sports book. This is the sports book you should read, probably, not the fourth Harry Potter book. That sports book is done. Agreed. Agreed. The, this next one I'm so excited for. It's The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, and it is a queer Great Gatsby retelling. Bailey, why are you laughing so hard at me? Because I read the wrong one and I'm already on Space Gaze. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, the next one on the list is The Darkness Outside Us by Elliot Schreifer, or Schreifer, and all I put as a a description is Space Gaze. (laughs) I didn't want to overtake, I thought that's the one, I mean, Queer Gatsby sounds great, but Space Gaze, talk about my wheelhouse, space. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Gould is a sapphic paranormal slash horror novel. Um, Jay's Gay Agenda by Jason June is a gay contemporary novel. And, of course, our beloved Casey McQuiston and One Last Stop. So all of those books came out this week. So pick one and read it or pick all that of them. That really does them. run the gamut of, like, different mm-hmm. types of books. And I don't think my June has enough time for this, but... If you're listening, we have already finished one last stop. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely reading that on June 1st for sure. Right. I have a lot to do that day, but I'm going to, I have to go to the dentist and be like, hold on, can I hold my Kindle above you? Just click, click. (laughs) It's my mom, so she'll, she'll humor me, presumably. Presumably. So anyway, um, those are some books that, that are gay and slap. Yes. And... As always, as we played in the beginning, thank you, Lainey, for uh, coining a term that makes it so easy to uh, catchphrase this, honestly. True. Now I don't have to come up with a blurb. You did the work for me. And for anyone looking for even more recommendations, uh, the Lainey Rose on TikTok often does gain it slaps compilation videos, which is where I get a lot of my recommendations from. She has yes. impeccable taste. And she's a bookseller, so she gets to tell us when things are coming, because she gets the inside info. Anyway, uh, be gay, do crimes. We're right and we should say it? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Be gay, do crimes, we're right and we should say it. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely it. Um, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite YA fantasies from the last couple of years, and that is Legend Born. So get hype. <laughs> It is a little bit of a longer one, so definitely start it ASAP if you want to read it by the time we talk about it. Cough, Daniel, cough. He took my copy of Legend Bone home the other day, and I don't think he's started it yet. Okay, well, well, we'll text him, and then the rest of you. You now have your time to start Legend Born, which is fan- YA fantasy. Yeah, in the meantime... We are right. And we should say it. Pour yourself a glass of wine. 
Let's start reading in between the lines. Never know what we might find. Yeah, it could be magic. Oh. Tinted Glasses is hosted by Katie Phillips and me, Bailey Utrecht. Our logo is by Baby Truth Collections, and our theme song is by Anna Voss, who is currently doing her Girl in a Backyard tour. Check her out. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will really help our show grow. Thanks, and see you next time.